The Canons of Dort, third and fourth head of doctrine, Article 16 and 17, man's will and God's means in your salvation. Well, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, God called you. God called you by his Holy Spirit, using that word of his. And then God called you in an irresistible way. God called you and gave you faith to respond. And you then respond by singing God's praises. You respond by serving him. You respond by making supplications for others. You respond by stirring others to do good work. You respond by supporting his kingdom by your giving. Of course, none of these responses caused your salvation. None of these responses even help in the smallest way to cause your salvation. Salvation is of the Lord alone. You were totally unable to come to Christ, and he had to pull you to himself. But we need to conclude our study and effectual call by studying two more things which are our headings. First of all, if salvation is solely of the Lord, does man still have a free will? And second, if salvation is solely of the Lord, why do we need other things to be saved? Our goals are that you will see how God needed to bend your will, that's the first thing, through his designated means, the second thing, to save you. And that you will therefore be more passionate in serving him, that you will be more passionate in serving him. Now, if salvation is solely of the Lord, does man still have free will? Now, let me read this section for you because it's one of the longest sentences you probably would have read here, and I don't want you to become overburdened by it. Article 16, Regeneration's Effect on Man's Will. However, just as by the fall, humanity did not cease to be human, endowed with intellect and will, and just as sin, which has spread through the whole human race, did not abolish the nature of the human race, but distorted and spiritually killed it, so also this divine grace of regeneration does not act in people as if they were blocks, and stones. That's like cement blocks and stones. Nor does it abolish the will and its properties or coerce a reluctant will by force, but spiritually revives, heals, and reforms, and in a manner at once pleasing and powerful bends it. That's the will bends it back. As a result, a ready and sincere obedience of the Spirit now begins to prevail. Where before, the rebellion and resistance of the flesh were completely dominant. In this consists the true and spiritual reformation and freedom of our will. Thus, if the marvelous maker of every good thing were not dealing with us, Humanity would have no hope of getting up 
from its fall by its free choice, by which it plunged itself into ruin when still standing upright. I really like that last part. Man was there, there standing upright and plunged himself into ruin. Now, first, God saved man by electing him, by calling him through the word and the spirit, by giving him faith to receive what Jesus did for him on the cross. And some people hear that and they panic and think, does that make man a robot or a puppet that has to be dragged to salvation and then dragged to heaven against his will? No. After the fall, of course, man's will became corrupted and twisted. And man was only able to choose evil. He lost the ability to choose good. Man, instead of wanting to work, became lazy. Instead of taking care of his family, to please himself. Instead of worshiping God, man started to worship pleasures. Man wanted to be an enemy of God and found and fought against God. Man could not become God's friend. Man did not want to become God's friend. He lost the ability and the desire. In fact, he opposed God. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 7 in your notes together. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. It can't be. There's abject rebellion against God. Romans chapter 7 verse 14 together. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. In other words, there's a spiritual uh, requirement for obeying the law. But man is only thinking about the flesh, carnal. That's what drives him. So we may say that, that man has free will, but because of the corruption in man, Man lost the ability to desire to choose rightly. He always chooses wrongly. Man would never choose to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Man is unable to choose to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet, of course, everything, including man's rebellious will, is under God's control because God is sovereign. So God is pleased to work in man, so his will to choose good is restored. And thank God he did this. Or not one single person in the world would be saved. Not one single person. So how does God work in man that he would believe without making man a robot? First of all, God does not use brute force. Instead, God renews man from the inside. He renews man's soul. 
And with a renewed will, man then begins to conform his thoughts, his words, and his action to the image of God in man. Remember this verse and memorize this. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 together. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God must work in man and bend his will so that man will submit and receive the work of Jesus Christ. Of course, that tells you you have to be patient. When you share the gospel with someone and they don't seem to respond, be patient. Pray that God will bend the will first. If God did not work, a man would continue to pursue his own will. And in this process, man is pleased to go along. Now, after God works, man smoothly accepts and holds on to his Savior. Man then begins to obey the Holy Spirit willingly. So God does not use brute force. He leads man to himself by bending his will. Even when you become a Christian, that's what we're singing about in the song today. There's that constant call to renew your life, to rededicate your life to God. Even as a child, God continues to help man conform to his will, and man then grows in grace. That's why the godly David, the one who was a man, was a man after God's own heart, he fell into sin. And what was his response? Psalm uh, 51 verse 10 and 11 together create in me a clean heart O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me see he had the Holy Spirit in him he was a believer but he fell into sin and he lived there a long time a year one year in that sin without confessing. But God renewed David and he returned and served the Lord. So not only does God bend the will of the unconverted, God had to bend the will of the converted. You. Every day. You see, when we talk about salvation is of the Lord, what we mean? It really is of the Lord. You can see this gradual renewal of man's will illustrated in the life of a child. After a child is born, parents have to teach the child what is acceptable behavior or not. And when the child is rebellious, they have to use some degree of force to help that child come back in the right way. If you've had young children, you know sometimes they would say some things and you're, where did you learn that from? Or they will act in a way that is taking away someone else's toys. Everyone has gone to somebody's house and they see somebody has a cooler toy than they have and they want that. And then parents have to work at applying some degree of force and instruction to bend that child's will. And so God slowly bends man's will to himself. Now, we don't get this easily in our society today because if we want something, we want it done yesterday. 
If we want to lose weight, what do we prefer? Be nice if there's a pill, right? You could eat how much you want and just take a pill. Well, how do you get to lose that weight? Not liposuction. Exercise. Dieting. Limiting what you're putting into your body. It takes time. And so God will transform man's will more and more over time, whether the unbeliever or the believer. Again, that's why you should be patient when others are struggling with a sin. Even regeneration takes place in a very subtle, slow way for most people. Very few people have a dramatic conversion experience. Many times they've heard the word over and over again. You meet people on the street, they've probably heard the gospel 5, 10, 20, 100 times before. And then suddenly, the same thing that happens with your children. You bring your children to church every day, Sunday after Sunday, and then suddenly the child comes to recognition that I believe in Jesus. That awareness comes into play. Pastor Bauman, a writer on this confession, said, this is like how a child is unaware of his conception, but is thankful for it. The fact that one does not know when something happens doesn't mean that it is not true. So don't fall for those who say, well, what day were you converted as if you were to have that dramatic experience? Most people don't have a dramatic experience. More, you do not become perfect at regeneration. No one does. You will find that there are struggles. Maybe you fall back into sins that control you for a while. There's that battle. Maybe someone's addicted to drugs. Maybe to fall back into drug misuse. Whatever sin you're involved in, it may take some time to break that habit. You see, the devil, the world, and your flesh are really strong enemies. And they will keep coming after you over and over and over again. Now, our Armenian friends argue that they are able to make their own free choice to choose God without God bending their wills. The Bible teaches us our wills are, are sinful. We can't even choose, and we don't want to choose good things. You can say we're free, but we're unable to do it. But they say they're free, and they can choose God without God bending their wills. More, they believe that a Christian who has fallen into sin, a backslidden Christian, can get up by himself without the call of God. And you will see, as we're, we'll start looking at this from next week, that is not true at all. In doing this, our Armenian friends are asserting the power to change themselves. And what's wrong with that? They are robbing God of the glory of his work because only God can change that stubborn will. Only God can. You know, you might hear expressions like popularized by uh, Robert Schuller, deceased minister of Crystal Cathedral. He would say, if it's got to be it's up to me. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Easy thing to remember. That's a lie. 
If it's got to be, it's up to God. He has to bend my will or I will fight him. Or you might hear God has done all he can. His hands are tied and it's now up to you. That's great at guilt manipulation, but it's not true either. God's hands are never tied. And he doesn't pull you, you don't come. Or the, probably the worst one uh, that I heard so much in my youth, God has no hands but mine. Oh, God has lots of hands. His hand will reach down, the Bible says so, and rescue you and help you and uphold you in the right hand of his righteousness and all of that. And then they say, God has no hands but yours. That's robbing God. Don't be guilty of that. God calls you, and he bends your will that you will receive. Without him bending your will, you will stay in your sin. Let's come to the second point then that we have to deal with today. If salvation is solely of God, why do we need other things to be saved? And now we'll try to read this together. Article 17, God's use of means in regeneration or in conversion. Together, just as the almighty work by which God brings forth and sustains our natural life does not rule out but requires the use of means by which God, according to God's own infinite wisdom and goodness, has wished to exercise divine power, so also the aforementioned supernatural work by which God regenerates us in no way rules out or cancels the use of the gospel." which God, with great wisdom, has appointed to be the seed of regeneration and the food of the soul. For this reason, the apostles and the teachers who followed them taught the people in a godly manner about this grace of God, to give God the glory and to be humble, all pride, and yet did not neglect, meanwhile, to keep the people by means of the holy admonitions of the gospel, under the administration of the word, the sacraments, and discipline. So even today, it is out of the question that the teachers or those taught in the church should presume to test God by separating what God, in good pleasure, has wished to be closely joined together. For grace is bestowed through admonitions, and the more readily we perform our duty the more lustrous the benefit of God working in us usually is, and the better God's work advances. To God alone, both for the means and for their saving fruit and effectiveness, all glory is owed forever. Amen. Now, God not only uses man's will, which he bends to play a role in his salvation... God also uses means or instruments to accomplish his purpose. Now think about it. In order to live, God gave you food and water and air. These are the means that God chooses to preserve your life. 
God doesn't have to do this, but God is pleased to do this. This shows that God is the one who preserves your life. It's not your food. It's not your water. It's not your air. It's God who gives you these things. These are the means for preserving your life. So what means, in addition to man's will that is being bent by God, does God use for man's salvation to save him and to sanctify him? First of all, God uses the gospel. Romans chapter 10, verse 14, 15, and 17. Together, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without the preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It's the preaching of the gospel. It's the sharing of the gospel. It's the giving of the gospel that God uses. So God may use you and God may use his word, but it is God who is doing so, like God giving you food and water and air. First Peter chapter one, verse 23 together. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Through the word of God. That's that seed that our uh, canons speak of. That grows. That becomes food as well for the soul of the converted. And then you see the result of this taking place. Acts chapter 13 verse 48 together. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed, they were glad and glorified what? The word of the Lord. Because that's the means. That's where we learn about God and his holiness. That's where we learned about man and his sin. That's where we learned about Christ. And his sacrifice. It's the word of God. So you have to share the gospel. So that men will be drawn to Jesus Christ. It is God who gave it. And that's why we go back farther than our Arminian friends. And we say it is God. It's not saying I chose God. It's saying God worked in me so I could choose God. The next thing God uses. The sacraments. Both sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, are used to draw your mind to Christ's work on the cross. Baptism, which replaced circumcision, tells us that our sins are washed away as surely as water washes away dirt from the body. What we were able to celebrate today in the Lord's Supper, the Lord reminds us that his body was broken and his blood was shed. And that's a means of nourishment. When you receive that by faith, your souls are nourished. And you can grow as a Christian. And then God uses Christian discipline. You say, well, how does that nourish my soul? 
Well, not really nourish your soul, but discipline makes sure that you make use of the means that discipline your soul. It makes sure you follow the word of God. It makes sure that you are nourished by the sacrament. So someone who doesn't come to church should be put under discipline because he is starving himself of the sacrament. He's starving himself of the word. And you need to say, no, you're going to eat because you will die. So God uses these means to bring people to himself and to help them grow in himself. But God also uses human effort. Remember, note what I'm saying. It's God who is using these things. And it's God who is giving these things. So salvation is of the Lord, but he's pleased to use means. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 through 23. Together. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. God uses your efforts. So you have to put off the bad and put on the good. Just like you would tell somebody if they want to stop smoking, you would give them another habit or some better thing to do. Some start chewing gum and eventually replace it with something else. But if you want to get over the, the addiction to pornography, you have to learn not just to stop that, but to do something else. Maybe write emails to other people. Maybe visit someone. Maybe call someone. Encourage them. Maybe go out and do some yard work. Do something else. As you put off, you put on. So there's that human effort that God is pleased to use. See, sometimes you can become almost fatalistic if you're not careful as Reformed believers. Well, God's salvation is of the Lord, so he will take care of me. He will change me. He will sanctify me. Well, God is pleased to use means. The gospel. The sacraments. Discipline. Human effort. That you put these things off and put on that which is good. And this requires thought. This requires work. This requires persistency. Now there are some who ignore the means of salvation. And they need to take warning. Because God pulls people, and he nourishes them in the faith. And if you ignore the means, you will see the consequences. First of all, there's some who ignore Christian discipline. And they often think that it is more loving to let unrepentant people go free. Just let it go. They ignore holding people's feet to the fire. But how can Christians be brought to conformity to God's will if the church will not teach and enforce what they teach? Think about it. Which child loves being rebuked? Which child loves being spanked? Or given a timeout to whatever discipline methods are used at home? 
No one does. And yet, you know it's good. Even the child would admit that, that it is good. And therefore, the church must not ignore discipline. It must not. See, go in a corner and think about what you did as this perversion called penitentiaries. You find out that that doesn't work. People aren't really penitent by themselves. They need to suffer. And that's what brings out the better response. That's That's what God does. Second, some assume because God is sovereign and effectually calls people to himself, they don't need to submit to the marks of the church. They don't need the gospel. They don't need membership. They don't need the sacraments. They don't need to be with God's people there. But preaching and sacraments and discipline are the means that God has appointed to guide the Christian. Don't ignore them. If you ignore them, you will hurt yourself. Third, some spend time learning fluff. Or maybe a few favorite Bible passages rather than the the whole will of God in Scripture. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters. When a soldier goes out to battle, you want him properly equipped. You don't give him dessert. Dessert is nice. Most people enjoy a good dessert. But you don't have strength. And all you need to fight in battle from dessert. Oh, you don't give them one meal a day and say, go out and fight. You want the soldier well-nourished, well-equipped, well-trained. And that's why you need to know doctrines. All the doctrines of scriptures. You know, some people would say, I just love Jesus. That's all I know. And they kind of make you feel bad because you don't say that. And it sounds so spiritual. But when you think about it, Well, what do you know about Jesus? You love Jesus with Jesus. What do you know about this Jesus that makes you love him? Do you know how he gave up the glories of heaven? His humiliation? Do you know the pain he suffered? The betrayal? The turning of his father's face from him? Do you know the intensity of his suffering? Do you know he was God? Do you know he was man? You know, he had to be both at the same time. You see, when you learn all the things about Jesus, then you can love him. And when people just have a little bit of fluff, oh, I just love Jesus. He's so wonderful. And they'll repeat a few things over and over. You have to take time to know him. Know the doctrines. Otherwise, you'll be malnourished. You'll be malnourished. And one final thing. Some don't fully exegete God's word to ensure people conform their wills to the will of God. Some don't even preach from many books in the Bible. They have a few places that are popular that they use. But even when they use the Bible, they use it as a springboard. They don't talk about the full context of the word of God. They don't speak about all things about the word of God. You know, sin is not very popular these days to preach about. Because why is that? Because they believe when you talk about sin, you hurt people's self-esteem. The fact is you need to hurt people's self-esteem so they realize that they can't do it. They need God. 
They need to know how wretched we are and how stubborn and willful. Look at the final passage from Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 6 and verse 8. Together. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, that he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. So the wicked will be punished because of his sin, if he refused and is stubborn, but so would be the one who does not preach the full counsel of God. See, today it's very popular to preach the Bible as a list of morals, cute things. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Remember the poor. This is one of the things that uh, many of the popular people rioting these days talk about. Well, you have to learn to share with others. Of course, they brutalize the scriptures more than they do the people in the buildings. But such a misuse of the word of God. We must not misuse God's word that way. We must speak of the warnings, not just of the nice things. We must speak of heaven and its wonder, but we must speak of the terrors and the fires of hell. We must speak of the joy of Christian brotherhood and the fellowship we can enjoy we can speak of the miserable lives apart from God, the sufferings. We must speak of the nice things of being able to worship God. We must also speak of sometimes you're going to be persecuted so people are prepared. We must speak of sharing are the gifts God's given to us. But we must also remember the other side, the persecuted church. We must remember them and show kindness to them in their suffering as well. Yes, preaching must be clear and consistent and applicable with no ambiguity. People shouldn't be uncertain about what is right and wrong. Because God's honor is at stake. Let's conclude. God bends man's will so he receives God's salvation and grows in submission to the Lord. And God does this by using the marks of the church to lead men to Christ and to disciple them once there. Remember, he used the word, he uses sacraments, he uses discipline, he uses people. And he wants these things to nourish and strengthen people even as they come to Jesus Christ. So now, brothers and sisters in Jesus, now that God has worked in you and bent your will, 
be busy with the Bible. Memorize it. In doing this, you will be more conformed to the Lord's will. Get into the word. Listen to good preaching. During the week, don't starve. There's many things available. See, God's sovereignty does not take away your responsibility to read the word, diligently study it, and then feed upon the sacraments. Long for each time we witness it in baptism or we are able to feast of the Lord's table. First Sunday of October, look forward for that. Don't look at it in a superstitious way but as a means of grace to nourish your soul. And then submit to Christian discipline. Listen to the instruction and the preaching. Listen to your elders when they visit you and they talk to you. And then use God's word to call the lost. Tell them the old, old story of Jesus. Tell them every word of it. Tell them of his love. And also tell them of his judgment. And finally, if you're not a Christian, you can't please God without his working in you. So why not call upon God and say, change me. Bend my stubborn will. Change me so I can conform more to Jesus Christ. Change me today. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for your words. Instruct us in truth. Give us humble hearts to receive your words, that we will remember how much you did for us. Our stubborn wills were fighting against you, but you bent it, and you used the gifts, the means that you have chosen, and now we can be your children. All praise belongs to you. May we then use the means you've given to us to be a blessing to others, to bring them to you and grow them in you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.